Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. It's one of the things I love about Christmas is that it awakens all of these, uh, these gifts in the body and these opportunities to remind us of who Jesus is. Isn't it amazing? And as, as we look at this schedule, uh, we want to, the reason why I love the Advent season is because it anchors us in the truth of God, in the truth of God. And as we get going today, I know that we did this earlier, but today we're focusing on hope. And we, the Gunnarsons read this to us earlier, but I'd like for you to join me in reading this. This is our text for today. It's Isaiah chapter 40. And would, would you read this with me? Let's read this together. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Next slide. Straighten the curves and move out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. I love it how it starts off with comfort. He says again, comfort my people. Who are his people? That's all you guys, all of us. He's saying, comfort my people. And I think this is the value of Advent. When we think about Advent, Advent, it really, it, it just means, it's, it's that significant that reminder of something important is happening. It's, it means arrival, that, that some, either something important is happening or someone important is going to be showing up. And as we mentioned earlier, that we need this reminder of Christmas because we are easily distracted, aren't we? Right, We're easily distracted. And so we have to do things in our life to kind of help us focus, to kind of get in. Because Advent, it's really about reminding us of two things. It's reminding us about the arrival of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago and what he did and what he continues to do right now in our present life. But it's also a reminder of a future, what the Bible calls, it's a second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, recognizing that we are not just this physical body, amen, but we are souls that were made to live forever. And Jesus talked about that, that there's a second coming for all of us who know him and love him and we've surrendered our lives to him, that we will spend eternity with him forever and ever. And all I can hear is Handel's Messiah going on in my head. So I'll try not to make you walk through that. I'll have our trio come back and play that for you, okay? So as we walk through, so one of, what are some of the ways that we do to kind of get our, our lives kind of ready for Christmas coming? I know for me, it's all about changing the atmosphere, which is music and decoration. How many of you decorated your house last, this, over this uh, Thanksgiving time, right? And yeah, just a, a big shout out to everybody who stayed last week and decorated this place. Isn't this amazing? Yeah, thank you, Natalie, for leading that. And everybody, they always, what Natalie says, zhuzh, zhuzh it up and gets it all ready and gets it amazing. But it, one of the things that I do is music. I love music. And so here's kind of a little glimpse of, of my playlist on Spotify. Uh, it's got a little, you know, for me, nothing brings hockey tears like Trans-Siberian Orchestra. How many uh, Trans-Siberian people out there we got, right? Got a little bit of Christmas time, Charlie Brown. 
Charlie Brown gets me ready. Andrea Bocelli, Angels We Have Heard on High. They haven't paid me for this endorsement, by the way, so don't worry about it, okay? And, uh, and then Carol the Bells. But it's, it's changing. It's the music. It's the music of Christmas that it just it gets my heart ready. It gets my life ready. And as we think about it getting together, one of the things that really helped me get ready this past week was when the Lord sent somebody special to my house with homemade fruitcake. Come on. And I'm telling you, a lot of you, I, I know, you, 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 you've got habits, hurts, and hang-ups over fruitcake, okay? But, it's, but when you've seen it done right, like my neighbor, Kathy Adams, thank you uh, for uh, bringing it over. It is, it is amazing. I shared little pieces, little pieces with people because I love it. And, so, and they said, oh, this is fruitcake? I'm like, yeah, this is fruitcake. So that wasn't in my notes, but I'm just going to call that. It was amazing. But it helps me get ready. I'm a better person because of fruitcake and Jesus today, okay? So as we walk through, we're going to be focusing on four themes over the next week. Today we're focusing on hope. Everyone say hope. Hope. You got to hope. Then peace, love, and joy. Peace, love, hope, and joy. Over these next four weeks, and I encourage you to take that time to reflect and to allow it go in. But as we go through this today, just looking at this chapter, this, this little section, very quickly, we're going to look at how God is restoring hope through three critical things. He's restoring hope to the children of Israel, and I believe to all of us today. But first of all, focusing on comfort, we're going to talk about comfort and what that means. And then we're going to talk about trust, because a big part of hope is trust. And then we're going to talk about waiting. How many of you enjoy waiting? And right now you go, man, I can't wait. I'm just there. <laughs> Comfort, trust, and hope as we prepare our hearts for the Lord. So, Lord, as we walk through this season, Lord, we just we invite your Holy Spirit to come in to bring focus to our lives. Help us to go through this season with our eyes lifted to you, focusing on you. Lord, we hear it say a lot that you are the reason for this season. But, Lord, that's more than a cliche. That's a reality. Without you, none of this would be possible. So thank you for revealing yourself to us and for inviting us to know what it is to be a child of God. So help us now as we walk in you. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 40 starts off with these two words, comfort, comfort, my people says your God. And when I think about this word, I immediately thought of hockey, okay? I thought of hockey as a kid. I'm going to throw up a little picture here. This is not me playing hockey. You know, the, the, these kids are cooler than me. But for me growing up, hockey was a big part of what I did. It was a big part of what I did. And I think that, yeah, we go, yeah, there, there, there we go. That guy's a better hockey player than me. But as we walk it out, hockey was a big part of it. And when I would head off on a Saturday morning to go spend the day playing pond hockey, my mom told me two things. You know what those two things were? No, be careful. That, that's, you know, she didn't really, I guess she implied be careful. But she said, first of all, she said, stay warm. Right? Stay warm. This is the Canadian North. She said, stay warm. But then secondly, she also said, don't fall in. Now, you may say, you know, Pastor Wayne. It's frozen. What do you mean fall in? What you need to recognize is that for ponds, uh, even though they're frozen over and in the center they're very solid, there's a brook that would flow into this pond and there's a brook that would flow out. And in those sections where there's water flowing, the ice would be a little bit thinner. And if you watch people around ice, you always see that they stay away from those areas. But for me, and a lot, especially when I was younger, the puck at times would go over to those areas and the older kids, guess who they sent over to get the puck? Me. It was me. Hey, Dwayne, do you like playing hockey? Do you like being with us? Go get the puck. 
And every week I'd be like, okay, I'll go get the puck. And I would go over, and I kid you not, it seemed like every week I would fall in. Now, it wasn't very deep, but if you've ever had wet feet in cold climates, it's pretty bad. And so I didn't want to leave because I felt like I was accepted right now. I was really just being used, but I felt like I was being accepted. And I went over, and I played with them and, and had a great time. And then by the end of the day when the adrenaline was wearing off and I was walking home, guess what started kicking in? It was all that cold. And I remember my mom saying, Dwayne, stay warm and don't fall in this week. And as I would stand before my mom, she would see it being wet. Do you know what the first thing my mom did? She didn't correct me. The first thing she did was she comforted me. And I think we need to hear that because a lot of times when we disobey God or we find ourselves in a trap, sometimes it makes us fearful to go to God. But what the Lord is doing here is the first two things he says is what? Comfort. And in case you missed it, I'm going to say it again. Comfort. See, this is how God works. And as we look here in Isaiah 40, Isaiah, Isaiah is now, he's speaking prophetically. In the first 39 chapters, he's speaking to, the, uh, to his peers in that time. And he's warning them of what's going to happen if they keep rebelling against God. But in chapter 40, it switches. And now he's speaking prophetically ahead to what we talked about during our, our, our sermon on Daniel. He's speaking to them in the Babylonian captivity that as a result of their sin, as a result of their rebellion, they are now being held as captives by Babylon. So he's speaking prophetically by the Lord in captivity that you know what? You got here because of your rebellion, but I want to speak comfort to you because there's a plan still in motion that God, he is pulling you out. He's pulling you out of this. Now, why would they need comfort? They need comfort because I think for, all, for them as well, for all of us, that pain is one of our biggest challenges in life, isn't it? When we walk through pain, when we walk through difficulty, this is one of the biggest things that challenges us in how we view ourselves, but I think especially in how we view God. Pain is difficult, but it's also a challenge for us. And it can often confuse us in our view of God. And as it relates to our need for hope, it confuses us as it relates to, is there any hope? Is there any hope? And it brings up that whole question, and I hear this all the time, and I've heard this a lot, especially in our community over the past couple of weeks, that people say, you know, Pastor Wayne, why do we have to go through pain? Why are we in pain? Well, when we look at this section here, there's times that we go through pain because of our own sin. Why did I get cold every Saturday night? Because I went where my mom told me not to go, and I fell in. And instead of coming home to change, I kept playing hockey and doing what I love to do. I got cold because I disobeyed mom. Did I know the right thing to do? Don't tell my mom this, but yes, I did. I knew the right thing to do. But I chose to disobey her. And so as a result, I bear those consequences. So sometimes there's pain that we go through. And I think it's, it's important for us that when we look at the Bible, when we look at this word sin, we need to not think of sin as a list of rules. Because just like my mom wasn't just giving me a rule not to go over by the thin ice because she didn't want me to go there. She gave me that rule because she didn't want me to get hurt. Didn't she? That's what parents do, right? I think sometimes as a kid when I was looking at my parents, I thought they just had all these rules because they wanted to ruin my fun. But now as a dad, I recognize, no, they were trying to save my life. They were trying to give, a, give, they were trying to give me an opportunity to survive and to make it to adulthood, and they did in spite of me. They got me there. 
It's the same way with God. God is not a God that's just making rules because he wants to control us. But he's telling us the things that will hurt us. That's why God hates sin. He hates sin because sin destroys us. Sin is destructive. Sin separates us from God and it destroys our life. And so when I sin and when I, when I stray away from God, sometimes I go through pain because I chose that. I walked in that. That's one of the reasons. And we learned through the life of Jonah that storms will always accompany sin. But we also need to be mindful that not every storm in our life is because of sin, right? Not every storm that comes in your life is because you sinned. There are things that happen to you that had nothing to do with you except the fact that you live in what Jesus calls a broken world. And Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, look, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven for God, he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Just because we're in this broken world, sometimes we receive some of the pain that just comes from the proximity to the places that we are. So we need to be careful to, when we go through these painful times, not just go, man, there's sin in that person's life or there's sin going on here. Sometimes you're going through pain just because of where you are. I've gone through that. I put my mom through pain that was, had nothing to do with her. But because I was her child, she brought me in and she helped me walk through it. Does that make sense? We need to have a good understanding, a good theology of what, of what this pain is. But we also need to recognize that no matter your reason for the pain that you're going through, that God, he's still reaching out to you and his plan is still to restore you. Whether you have rejected him and walked away, he wants to restore you. Or whether you're in a tough spot just because you're in a broken world, he still wants to restore you and he still wants to work through your life. That's why in this passage, God calls them, he says, my people. He says, comfort ye what? My people, that in spite of your rebellion, in spite of everything you've done, in spite of ignoring me, and in spite of instead of turning to me, you turn to all the gods and the idols of the culture that you are in, I still call you my people. I still identify with you. And we do that with our kids, don't we? If you have kids, or if you're an auntie or an uncle, or just the neighborhood kids, that no matter what they do, you're, there, you're still my kid. Now I go, you're still my kid, so come over here. Let me talk to you for a minute. Let me get you back on that right track. That's the path that we go. But we're still God's children. And God's saying, look, you're still my people. And he says, look, I am still your God. Because God doesn't write anybody off. See, we write people off. Because we're afraid of getting hurt again. We have all these issues and these things that we can write people off very easily. But God writes nobody off. And isn't that amazing? See, God doesn't struggle with forgiveness. I do sometimes. Anybody else struggle with forgiveness sometimes? Right? The disciples did at times, right? They went to Jesus and said, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive them? Seven times, thinking they were all holy and righteous and going, man, that's more than anybody else. And Jesus said something that meant you forgive over and over again. He said 70 times seven. We use addition. Jesus multiplies things and says, no, it's forever. Because Jesus has no problem with forgiveness. The Bible even says that he is faithful and just to forgive those who confess their sins to him. This is the God that we serve. He has no problem with forgiveness. And in that whole aspect of forgiveness, what we're seeing here today is that comforting is a part of that correction. See, sin needs to be corrected. 
Because as we talked about, as I mentioned earlier, sin, it destroys us. Sin is out to own us and to conquer us. So God, loving us, he comes in. He's like, I need to correct it. That's destroying you. Confess it. Let's get rid of it. But then God moves very quickly to comfort. Because what does comfort do? Comfort, it connects us. If the only relationship you have with somebody is correcting, that's a pretty tough relationship, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. See, God, he corrects us, but then he comforts us, and he says, you're my people. You're my people. Come here. I think one of my favorite stories that illustrates this is in John 8 when, um, when Jesus talks about the woman that was caught in adultery. And for those of you, if you haven't read that, it's a powerful picture. And just very quickly, the woman who's caught in adultery, in the Jewish traditions and the Jewish rules, they had, according to their rules, the right to stone somebody who was caught in adultery. And so now here are these religious people ready to stone this lady who was caught in adultery who was guilty. Her guilt was never in question. Do you know what Jesus did? The first thing that Jesus did was protect her. I want you to hear that. That when when we're caught in in that aspect and we see people, the first thing that Jesus did, he came and knew what? He protected her. He addressed her accusers and he addressed their sin. And then he picked her up. The accusers were gone. And then the last thing he said to her as she was leaving was what? Now go and sin no more. See, he didn't ignore the sin, but he recognized this lady first. She needed protection. And I think sometimes we're afraid of protecting people because we think by protecting people that we're endorsing behavior or that we're coming along in agreement. But love is not agreement. We understand that, right? That to love you, I don't need to agree with you. Using my life, did my mom always agree with everything I did? No, 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 no. And that's just the... One thing I can tell you, I can tell you many things, she can tell you more. And I found that even as she's moving into this life where she's forgetting things, she remembers this stuff. I don't, I don't know why. But. <laughs> but as we walk this out, love is not agreement. Love is saying, I'm with you, I'm your protector. I don't, I don't agree with you. And also, Jesus didn't ignore the sin in her life. He said, look, I'm your protector. Now go and sin no more. This is destroying you. This is the aspect of comfort that we need to get in our heart. And he's teaching us how to go through. We deal with it, but we never forget that comfort aspect. Amen? So taking this illustration now of comforting and coming in, how do we move forward in this? Because it's not just the forgiveness of sin, and it's not just its protection, but Jesus has come when he says in John 10.10, he's come to give us life, and life to the full, life more abundantly, because he wants us to move forward. He doesn't want us just to stay in one spot. He has a plan for us that we don't even fully understand yet. And his plans for us are great. So how do we move forward in this? Well, there's two words. When we look at this aspect of hope, there are also two other words that are are used for hope. And if you look at different versions of this scripture, you you will see two other words. And one of them is trust. One of them is trust. See, and trust is a very tough one for us, especially when we go through a difficult time. When you go through a difficult time in any relationship or any situation, one of the first things that's put on the table is what? Trust. I don't know if I can trust you anymore. This doesn't make sense to me. How do we walk through it? And I think one of the, one of the, the best illustrations that I can kind of, as we think about this, is, uh, you know, as, as, as a kid, um, I, I used to love, as I said earlier, walking across the ice. 
I was, I was drawn to ice. And I think sometimes when we go through tough times, it's like there's, there's cracks that go through the ice on us, right? When Natalie talked about going through the ice, there were no cracks on it. But for me as a kid, I was drawn to cracked ice. I don't know what that says about me, but we'll talk about that some other time over coffee. But I, I was drawn to it. And see, when I was walking across ice, and we had these big bays, right? Newfoundland is an island, and surrounded by water in these bays. And me and my friends, we would love to cut across the bay to go to some other place we would go. And when we're walking across, and everything's fine, we had no problem walking. We're goofing off. We're pushing each other. We're kicking each other's feet out from under each other. Don't do that. That's, that's a bad thing. But we would do it. But I'll never forget one time we were walking across the bay, and all of a sudden we were just, thunk, 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 thunk. Have you ever experienced that? Okay. It's like in The Mandalorian, if you've seen that, right, where the ice starts to crack. So going out, it's like this ice starting to crack, and immediately everything changed. Now, the ice was several feet thick. There were some spots in this ice that you couldn't even drill through with the ice augers that we had. I know I'm using illustrations that aren't, don't relate to GreenLink, but as we walked through, very thick ice. How we walked before the cracks and how we walked after the, the cracks were two totally different things. Before that happened, we had all the confidence in the world. We were goofing off. We were playing around. We were having a great time. Now we're in the middle of the bay, and the cracks start to form. And if you've ever seen this, now all of a sudden, you're walking very careful. You're looking to your buddy and saying, hey, why don't you go first and lead the way on this one? <laughs> you're being very cautious, and the whole time, I mean, for me as a kid, I'm thinking about, Jesus, please forgive me for what I did last night. Please forgive me for all this. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make my life right before God in this moment and trying to walk and get across. See, the cracks, they affect us. They affect us in how we move forward. It affects how we walk. And this is a great illustration, I think, of a culture that we're in today. In my lifetime, I can't remember any other time in my lifetime when there has been such a lack of trust in our culture, haven't we? We, we, we see that. Pew Research came out with a study this past, uh, this past summer in August, and it said that 73% of U.S. adults under 30 believe that people are just looking out for themselves most of the time. 73%. 71% say that most people would try to take advantage of you if they got a chance. And 6 in 10 say that most people, that's 60%, most people cannot be trusted. So what they're saying overwhelmingly is that most people, given a chance, they're going to take advantage of you. Most people, they're just out for themselves. And most people cannot be trusted. And this splinters and fans out to all the leaders. If you read that research, there's, we don't have time this morning to go into it. But you see how the distrust for leaders, religious leaders, educational leaders, those who protect us, Massive distrust. This is the culture that we're living in. People like me, pastors, distrust. And it's continuing to drop and to drop and to drop. What I want to say to you today is as we walk forward as the people of God, we need trust. Trust is a core part of our hope. Trust is a core part of who we are. It's central to every relationship that we have. My wife and I, one of the things that's in our foundation of our relationship is a trust for each other. When trust is going away, we work really hard to rebuild it. Now, do we ever do things that cause people to question trust in our lives? 
I would say all of us would answer and honestly yes, and if not, then I probably won't trust you, okay? We all, but we work hard to rebuild it. Have I offended you? The Bible talks about that, that if you're kneeling at the altar and you recognize that there's an offense that you have to your brother or sister, you need to get up immediately and go take care of it because there's a relationship that needs to be restored in that. But we need to recognize that it's very easy for all these things to leak out into God. That our lack of trust for one another, our lack of trust for the leaders in our society, that can leak very easily to distrusting God. And But see, not trusting God, it leads us to a path of self-destruction. God is not out for destruction. He's out for our good. But when we don't have this foundation of trust, this hope, it leads us down this path of self-destruction. But when we trust God and when we lean into that, it leads us down this path of life, of growing and loving in him. We need to trust God. We need to work in that. And it takes an honest conversation. I think I was sharing with you one time that one of our packed churches, St. Matthew's, we had a, a dinner one night, and this lady came in. And as we talked about the scripture around our table, we said, well, what's resonating? And one of the things that she said is she said, I hate God. And in that moment, the, she looked at me because she may have thought that I was offended by that. But in my spirit, I was going, yes. Do you know why I was so excited? Because she was honest. She was honest. What was in her heart? She said, you know what? I've got a problem with God, and I'm going to share it with you. Because I want to talk about it. And in that moment, I'm like, a miracle is going to happen tonight in this lady's life. Because she laid it on the line. She got honest with me, knowing I'm a pastor, and honest before God and verbalized it. And I saw just through the course of it. I'm not saying everything got fixed in that conversation, but I saw a lot of healing that the Lord began in her life because there's that honesty in it of getting it out, of going, you know what, I hate God, but that reality of I need to trust you, I need to walk in it. And see, this, this brings it to that next point of knowing that we need trust. How do we bring trust? How do we start trusting? And the answer in that is by knowing God. And I don't mean just knowing about God. The world knows about God. I mean really knowing God. I mean digging in. I mean studying his word. I mean laying our life before him, allowing him to speak in our life. See, a lot of people will say that they know God, but my experience when I've talked to people that say, you, you know what, I have this big problem with it, either I don't believe it or I've tried it or whatever, when I've really had an opportunity to talk to them and to listen and to ask them good questions, i found that for most people in my experience, now this is my experience, yours may be different, and this is not everybody, but for a lot of people, a lot of their knowledge about God has come to them secondhand. Well, tell, tell me how you knew that. Well, my friend told me this, or I read this in a book, or I saw this on social media. Or they'll ask about, man, I just don't believe the Bible. Well, have you read the Bible? Well, I read this verse in it. Which my response is, when I went to the doctor, I'm glad the doctor just didn't read one page of the medical manual. Because if you take any page out of context, any line out of context, you've missed the whole thing. Right? It's like it's the old, old adage that if all you are is a hammer, then every problem's a nail. You're just hitting everything and whacking everything over the head. There is such a diversity to God and to the scripture that it demands our study. That when we study it, and the, the more questions that I have, the deeper I dive, the more understanding that I have. When I go to the author and I say, God, reveal this to me. When I go to people who have, who have studied the word of God and they're pouring into me, the more that I know. But it takes work to go in and to know. 
We need to not just stop short of what we've heard about God or what someone else has said about God. We need to dive deep into the word of God. We need to lay our life before him to know him and to allow him to reveal to us. And when we read further in Isaiah 40, we see this through because Isaiah is laying out three key things to a people that they've, they've gone through difficult times. They were removed from their city. They were, as we looked at the life of Daniel, they were attempts made on them to totally assimilate them from their God to the Babylonian gods. They went through a hard time. And Isaiah here is speaking to, he reveals three things about God, and the three things that he reveals very quickly, he reveals God's motive, he reveals God's power, and he reveals God's perspective. See, Isaiah, he walks through and he says, look, here's God's motive for us. Do you want to know who God is? Let's start with God's motive. Let's start with how God feels about you. And we see in Isaiah that God's motive for us is that he loves us. God's motive for us is that he loves us. It says in, uh, in verse 12 in, the, in chapter 40, it says that he, this is God, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms. He will hold them close to his heart, and he will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Verse 25, verse 29, he says that he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. This is God's motive. When we move on to God's power, it says in verse 12, it says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? This is the power of God. The God who his motive for us is that he loves us. And then he goes on to leaders. He says, look, all the nations of the world are but a, a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as if it were a grain of sand. This is the power of God. So his motive is he loves us. Then Isaiah, he reveals and reminds them of the power and the majesty of God. But then he also goes into God's perspective. See, God's perspective, he says no one can measure the depths of his understanding. This is the wisdom. See, wisdom is not just information. You can spend all day on Google and have a lot of information and not a lick of wisdom. Because the hard part is knowing what do you do with the information. Is this information true? Is it accurate? Is it there? That's the challenge that we have. And Isaiah is saying, look, no one can measure the depths of his understanding. Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows him enough to give him advice or to teach? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Not mine. Does he need instruction about what is good? And then he goes on, digging into God's perspective. He's saying that he sees us. He says, oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? He's saying, look, you need to know God. The more that you struggle with God, the more that you need to know God because his motive is he loves you. He is all-powerful and almighty. When you see him, when you really see him, you will stand in awe of wonder of who he is. If there's not awe and wonder in your life, you have not seen God. When I look at my life and I look at the times in my life when it's been difficult and it's been down, I've recognized that my head has been down instead of my head being up and saying, you are my God. Show me the way out of this. And then God, he reveals himself to me. He strengthens me. He corrects me where I need correction. And he brings me on. This is the God that we serve. See, when we know God, we stand in this. And it helps us to trust him. Because to know him is to trust him. And then Isaiah ends it on, I think one of the most difficult words for us, I think especially in the Western world, is he ends with one of the other words for hope. So when we have hope, there's trust, but it's this word which is wait. How many of you love waiting? 
If you love waiting, you've never gone through Christmas as a kid in, in my, the house that I grew up in. See, I want everything. I want it here. I want it right now. But Isaiah 31, he says, look. He says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Somewhere Pastor Bob's shedding a tear right now, okay? He loves eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. But this is tough for us. But he's saying that in order to do all that, in order to have that strength and that endurance, that renewed strength that you need to wait. See, we have a problem with waiting because we have kind of a disease that's often called FOMO. How many of you have heard of FOMO before? You know what FOMO is? It's the fear of missing out. Major anxiety. That whole fear that we have so many decisions, so many options for us. That often comes from being on our phone on social media, right? You pick a path and you start doing it, and you're like, oh, look, look what Brad's doing right now. Well, I need to stop doing this and do what Brad, it looks like more fun. And then I get with Brad and go, oh, wait a minute, but Susan's doing something different over here. I need to go over and see what's happening there. It's that whole fear of, I want to do this, but I don't want to lock myself in. There are even apps that have been created that can help you to not wait, that can bring a better option into your life. You know, now that's great when you're waiting downtown for the bus, right? I have this bus one right away, so as I'm going in, I'm waiting for the bus, and it's taking a little longer, it'll, it'll, it'll flag up and go, if, if you leave 3rd Street and you go to 5th Street, you can get the different bus that will get you home a little bit quicker. So I start walking up there. There are businesses that have been built on that whole aspect of, we can get it to you quicker, we can get it to you faster, we can get it to you even right now for a little bit of a different charge. Because we want it now. This was even Satan's lure. Satan's original lure was to give it to you right now. Adam and Eve, you can have it right now. This is Satan's lure with us. And even he tried to do that with Jesus, right? The temptations of Christ, he brought him out and he cherry-picked scriptures. Doesn't the Bible say this? Doesn't the Bible say this? It says that. You can have it right now. But what did Jesus do? He's like, you're forgetting the entirety of scripture. You're forgetting who God is. Not forgetting, you're trying to trick me. See, Jesus was never anybody's fool. This is why we need to lean into this aspect of waiting. Because as it comes to waiting, waiting is not just about sitting on the floor. I think sometimes when we think about waiting, we think that waiting is that whole aspect of, well, waiting just means I'm just going to sit on the floor. Waiting on you, God, anytime. Now, that is horrible waiting. Do you enjoy doing that? I don't. See, what the Bible is talking about here as it relates to waiting on God, he's saying that we're not just waiting, but we're waiting upon the Lord. It is an act of trust, and it's a trust in God's plan, and it's a trust in God's timing. See, waiting upon the Lord, it reveals what we think about God, and it reveals what we think about ourselves. Do we think that God knows it all, or do we think that we know it all? If you're a know-it-all, raise your hand. I was going to say point to somebody who's a know-it-all, but that's not very kind, is it? So maybe you, you, you'd all point at me. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not a know-it-all. I am not a know-it-all. And the life lesson number one that I think that we all need to learn coming out, and my parents, sit, they try to teach me this all the time. Life lesson number one, Dwayne, you don't know it all. How many of someone's told you that as a kid or whatever, right? Life lesson number one, you don't know it all. But number two is very important as well. God does know it all. God does know it all. He's the only one that has perspective. So who should I trust? Should I trust someone like me that doesn't know it all? 
Or should I recognize God does know it all? I need to trust his plan. I need to trust his timing. When a ship is in the fog and they don't know where to go, does the captain say full steam ahead towards the shore? Or does the captain wait until they see a light appear? When you see the light, you know where you are. When you see the light, you have your bearings, but sometimes you've got to wait to see that light. You've got to wait to see that light. See, I, I believe for some of you, God is calling you to, to this season of rest. And it's not a rest that's just sitting on the floor and just saying, well, this is my lot in life. But it's a season of rest that he's saying when you wait upon the Lord, when you trust his plan, and when you trust his timing, what's God going to do? He's going to restore your life. You know, when Melora went in the hospital, you know, one of, one of the big things that they did to help her in her recovery? They did everything that they could to cause her body to rest. They even lowered her temperature so that her heart wouldn't have to work as hard. And then when the time was right, they brought her out of that rest. And I think that's a good illustration for us that sometimes we're so busy running, we're so busy just doing things that we forget God, we forget the awe and wonder. And he's saying, no, listen, you need to just rest a little bit. It's not an ignoring rest, but it's that waiting upon the Lord. The Lord's going to renew your strength. So that you can walk and not grow weary, you can run and not faint. Every athlete will tell you that their stamina is built in the rest. They work hard, and then they rest. But they trust God in that. That's what God is calling us to. That's what he's calling you to. There's a work that he has for you to do, but there's times that you're going to be all in, and there's times that he's going to say, you need to rest a little bit. Amen? So as we respond to this word this morning, I think my biggest question that, that I asked myself this past week, and I want to invite you to ask yourself that question, President Lord, is how am I doing with waiting? Am I trusting God's plan? Am I trusting that he has this? God's the one who knows all the players. He's the one who knows all the pieces. He knows what's going to happen. So am I going to move forward not knowing any of that just because I feel good about moving or am I going to say, God, I'm going to trust your plan? How are you doing on waiting? Let me invite you just to close your eyes and just ask the Lord that. Or maybe you already know. You're like, Lord, help me. To trust your plan, to trust your will, and to trust your way. How am I doing at waiting? And with your eyes closed, just respecting the moment, evaluate your heart and your life with one of those big trust words. The word of the other word is, is uh, trust. Trust is linked to hope. How are you doing at trusting God? That's a big one. Are you trusting the Lord? And Wherever you are in that, why or why not? If you're going, you know, Dwayne, right now I'm sitting in a place of, boy, I trust the Lord. Remind yourself why you're trusting him. Because the Lord's going to use that to help you to encourage others. If you're having a hard time trusting the Lord, identify that. Just like that lady that came in. In that vulnerability, here's why I'm struggling with trust. See, the Lord has a plan for you if we will trust him and be with him. He wants you to mount up with wings. He wants you to fly like an eagle, but you need to wait. You need to trust him and allow him to do that work. Amen. Can we all stand together?
as we take some time, it's important not just to be here's the word, but to respond. I want to invite you in this first week of Advent to respond. And how wherever you were, if you're struggling with trust, if you're struggling with any of that, or you have a friend, I want to invite you just to go to the sides for a, for a time of prayer. And our prayer team, if you would just go ahead and move into position. These are wonderful people. Man, pray with them. I do. Wherever you are, you need to speak it out. You need to get it out to somebody. Go pray with them. Turn with somebody. But let's respond in that way. We also have communion. This is for followers of Christ where you just take, we just come forward. Just take that bread representing his body. Dip it in the juice representing his blood. Let's start this season off by focusing our hearts on the Lord. If you are not a follower of Christ, man, I'd love to meet you down here. Today's a great day to find Jesus, to surrender your life to him, to walk with him. Pray with me or pray with any of these wonderful people. But let's take this time to respond and to refocus our hearts. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord.